Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Sick of It podcast. I don't want to spend too long on the intro so that we can fully get into today's episode, but the Sick of It podcast is going to be everything life and disability. Being disabled or chronically ill affects every aspect of your life and disabled people are also more than just being disabled. So we are going to explore everything and anything. For the first episode, I spoke to Anya Christofferson and we talked all about what it's like being and becoming a model when you have a disability. It was such a good discussion and I hope you enjoy. Let's pretend like we weren't just talking five minutes ago. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm kind of glad that you're my first guest. I feel like it takes the edge off a little bit. I'm very honored to be your first guest. Thank you. I'm. You're literally the first person I thought of. I think the hard part was trying to figure out what episode topic I wanted to talk to you about because I think I had about four ideas. Um, But I wanted to go with one a bit more unique, something a little bit different. And then maybe later we can talk about that because I'd love to talk about Champion Health Agency and starting that up because that would definitely be interesting. Um, But can you give us a brief background on you and your disability? Yes. So I never really know how to give a background on me as a person because I wear so many hats. Um, But starting with my disability, I think at least is easy. Um, But to people who've never heard of it before, it probably isn't. So I was born with a condition called Bactral Association. um, And it's an acronym for Vertebral, Anal, Cardiac, Tracheal, Esophageal, Renal and Limb Abnormalities that occurs in approximately 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 40,000 births, Um, but some of the conditions can occur in 1 in 50,000 births. So very rare, um, and a lot of the doctors haven't even really heard of it either. Um, So it affected me in many, many ways, and it was explained to me by my parents as having a plumbing problem. Um, So I wasn't able to get food or water into my body or out of my body when I was born um, and had a lot of reconstructive surgeries um, starting from five hours old really throughout my life um, and spent the first five years of my life in hospital or in and out of hospital. Um, And then it's basically been my second home ever since. Did they diagnose you with Vactual straight away because it was so rare or were they just not sure what was going on? It was really by chance that it was actually diagnosed at 28 weeks of my mother's pregnancy. Um, So one of the parts of actual I had was that there was no join to my stomach. Um, And what that meant was when a baby's in utero, they actually swallow a little bit of the amniotic fluid, or from my understanding, they do. Um, But I couldn't do that. So my mum just grew bigger and bigger and bigger in her pregnancy, and she was growing far too fast. So they did a scan, they saw that they couldn't see my stomach um, and that really raised alarm bells. Um, And so they had to bring a specialist in to do a scan and they thought that I was going to pass away and not even make it through the birth. Um, But then they were able to actually diagnose in utero basically all of the malformations that I had across the vactual spectrum, give that diagnosis at birth and start to prepare a surgical team um, to operate on me the day that I was born. And can you kind of run us through like the symptoms, how it affects you day-to-day life? Yeah. So the V um, is for vertebral. So I have hemivertebra, which is like half formed vertebra, um, scoliosis, which is curvature of the spine that I've had since birth, um, missing bones in my sacrum at the base of my spine, 
Um, so that affects some of my pelvic nerves. Um, and then I also have an extra lumbar vertebra that helped me to be a little bit taller, which is nice. Um, and so that affects me now just in terms of lower back pain, really, and pain throughout my back, to be very honest with you. Um, the A is anal. So I was born with a cloaca, which is just one opening rather than the three. I had that um, made into a colostomy and a vesicostomy at birth just to get waste out of my body and then fully reconstructed. So that affects me now because I have no bowel continence because um, there was no sphincter, there were no muscles, there were no rectum. Um, the nerves weren't good, so there was no chance that I could have any continence. Um, as I grew, my urethra wasn't in the right place. I had two uteruses, so I had lots of reproductive challenges um, and chronic pelvic pain. The C is cardiac. I had a hole in my heart at birth, which was thankfully able to repair itself without any surgical intervention. Um, but I do now have um, not very good regulation of my heart rate. So that basically affects me because it impacts my mobility. Um, so I can't really necessarily leave the house unsupervised without worrying that I'm going to pass out. Um, and I can't play sports very well. Um, I blame my heart, but it's probably my coordination. Um, and the TE, the tracheal esophageal, so food pipe, air pipe. Um, I had that reconstructed, both of them at birth, um, because the food pipe was going into my air pipe, not to my stomach. Um, so when they corrected that, they had to cut through um, where my air pipe was and they damaged the cartilage. So my air pipe was collapsed into a figure eight. Um, so I struggled a lot with breathing and I had recurrent chest infections as a child. So I still do struggle with breathing a little bit now. Um, but the main thing really is my swallowing because they cut through two of the big nerves that are responsible for a lot of those contractions. So I have some issues eating. I have to wash down everything when I eat because it's gravity functional only. Um, and so that does cause me some issues. Um, and then the R is renal, so one kidney. So I just have to be really careful that I make sure that the kidney is healthy. Um, I have recurrent UTIs, so that can put my kidney at risk. Um, so I just have to catch them early. Um, and then the L for bactual is limb. So I don't have that um, which is, I guess, good. At least you missed out on one, I yeah, guess. Yeah. You know, with the surgery, was that like a general risk that could happen or was that a mess up on someone's part? Um. So I've had, I guess, many surgeries, but the one where they cut through both the nerves, I was only, you know, just born. I was five hours old. Mm, yeah. Time. Um. So, you know, operating on an infant, is so so challenging and yeah highly complex surgery so I guess the nerves you know they're not supposed to be cut through but it was probably really really difficult not to cut through those nerves um and I only found out about it two years ago um so I've lived most of my life without knowing um I always knew that I couldn't swallow well I always knew that I had multitude of issues I would have as much as a hot cross bun or a blueberry and have to go into the emergency department and they'd have to take me into surgery to remove it. Um, and I had no idea really why. They just told me that my food pipe doesn't talk to, the top part doesn't talk to the bottom part. Um, but to have that explanation more recently, it 
really validated what I'd been experiencing my entire life because no one really believed that it was as bad as what I'd been experiencing and I never really complained about it because I never knew any different. So did they just not realise that they'd done that during the surgery and then they just figured that out two years ago? I think so. Like, I'm not sure if they didn't realise it or if it was just the way that it was. Um, But from connecting with other people with Vactual, it seemed like when you repair things like what I had, you're basically creating a food pipe that's not functional a lot of the time. Um, But it's what you have to do to survive. Um, And I think that it sounds really scary to parents if you're going to have a child that's not going to have a functional food pipe. But really it's okay. Like I've lived my whole life like this and I'm okay. So. Yeah. You just kind of get used to it, right? Absolutely. (laughs) So you do so many things. Um, Can you briefly run us through what you do and then we'll start talking about the modeling, which is what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, you do, you really do wear a lot of hats. I do. I'll try to remember them all. Um, So the modeling is one. Um, So I'll park that for the moment. Um, so I am a social entrepreneur. Um, I run my own business called Champion Health Agency, um, along with some other ventures actually at the moment, which is pretty exciting. I'm also a speaker. Um, I started speaking internationally in 2018, which is really exciting. Um, I'm an author. I wrote my own book also in 2018. It was a huge year. Um, and God, what else do I do? I'm actually a counsellor, a qualified counsellor. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, I am. I did not know that. Yeah. And I swear a few other things, but they're all slipping my mind now. But maybe I just put them all under the banner of a a disability advocate because that's what I'm really passionate about. I'm passionate about creating social change. So how old were you when you got into modelling and what made you want to get into modelling? It's a little bit of a complicated story because I think I always was one of those young children that would dress up and like having my photo taken and wear those tiny little plastic heels with the little feather straps over the top that you could buy in, you know, like Target or Big W when you're a kid um, and the big puppy princess dresses. So I was one of those like little girls. Um, and as I grew up, I did really like the idea of modeling, but I'd never taken it fully seriously, I guess, um, until my mother decided I wasn't ladylike enough. And she decided that she wanted to send me to deportment school where I could learn how to speak like a lady and sit like a lady and dress like a lady and all all the bits and pieces. Um, And I compromised with her that it would be a modeling and deportment school. So I did this course um, and it was awesome. And I realized that the modeling industry was so much more than what I thought it was. And being a model was an actual profession. It wasn't just a person that, you know, gets in front of a camera and you have a few photos taken or walks down a runway. Like there was a lot more to it. And that really intrigued me and interested me. Um, So I decided that I wanted to do it. I ended up meeting with a modeling agency And it went really well and they seemed to like me and they wanted to sign me and we're starting to organize a portfolio shoot. And they just asked by chance, do you have any scars? And I said, yeah, I was proud. Um, So I lifted up my shirt, showed them the scars that I had on my stomach from my previous surgeries. And they just said, look, I'm really sorry, but you're not gonna be able to model with those scars or you're never gonna be able to show your stomach modeling with those scars. Um, And we had a discussion about why. And they said, you know, even when you're modeling for companies where 
you will be fully dressed. You cast for those companies wearing a bikini and to walk in a casting wearing a bikini when you've got those scars, like no one's going to hire you, you know? And I basically left that and I was like, I'm not going to their portfolio shoot. Like I'm not meeting with them again because this is ridiculous. Um, I'd never really felt ashamed of my scars before. So I didn't want to, I guess, interact with that. Um, so I took a bit of a step back. I decided I wanted to do more kind of fashion work. Um, so I started learning how to sew and bead things and all of that. And I was pretty pathetic. Like I could bead something in about, you know, three months. Um, but from that, I developed like this little kind of collection um, and had a little fashion party with some of my friends and got my boyfriend at the time to take photos of me in like a little lookbook for it and it turned out that you know it was probably about six months after or a year after that initial meeting um that there was a casting that popped up for this boutique modeling agency in Brisbane so I went along brought my little portfolio from that lookbook with me and I had to walk in my bikini um I put concealer over my scars because I thought screw them <laughs> you know I had so much more than my scars but they're not gonna see them um, and you could still see them. They still knew that I had scars. Um, but I ended up getting signed by this modeling agency and getting a three-month development contract. Um, and that's where it really kicked off for me. So I guess you didn't really realize like how hard it would be to get into modeling with a disability or that it would even be a problem at all. No, I was pretty clueless, to be honest. And what I skipped in that story was that after I got rejected by that first modeling agency, I thought, screw them. They don't know anything about the industry, which was silly of me. Um, and I started just sending my bikini photos to other agencies. And I just got rejection after rejection after rejection. Um, and that might be because of my scars or it might just be because they didn't like my look, honestly. Um, and it was at a time where diversity and inclusion was starting to become part of the modeling agenda. And it might not have been diversity and inclusion in terms of people with disabilities or scars, but I thought that they were at least at a stage where they would take a photo of someone with scars and they'd Photoshop them out. And I thought it was sad that they wouldn't put enough investment into me to Photoshop my scars out. Yeah. And your disability is pretty much like invisible, right? Except for the scars. Do you think it would have been easier or harder to get into the modeling industry if you'd had like more of a visible disability like if you'd had a limb deficiency if you were in a wheelchair do you think that would have been easier to get in or harder I think at that time it would have been harder honestly because I think then they were looking at diversity in terms of ethnicity to be really honest with you um, and they weren't really at the stage, this was back in 2015, of actually accepting people that are very, like, visibly different, you know, like they have, like they're in a wheelchair or they have a limb difference um, or they have, you know, bigger scars than what I had. But now I think that it probably would have been easier if I, you know, did have a more visible disability because what I find now is that I am stuck in this weird middle ground where, I don't really fit into the box of being a disabled model because I don't look like I have a visible disability, but I don't fit into the box of not necessarily being, you know, an able-bodied model, if that's what you want to call it. It was like, I, I have scars and I'm an advocate like for disability. So it's an interesting place to be. Yeah. I think that's pretty common just with invisible disabilities in the first place. Like you're disabled, but 
you don't look disabled enough for most people to count you as being disabled. Um, but I guess then there's problems with it the other way, right? Like, you know, if your disability is visible, you might get judged for other reasons. So I don't think either way you really win, right? It's just cons on both sides. Absolutely. Um, so there is a lot more diversity now, which is great. But do you think there's a bit of tokenism with brands hiring disabled models nowadays? And do you think some brands are just doing it to kind of tick a box and not actually doing it for the right reasons? Absolutely. And it is so frustrating um, for many reasons. I think you rarely see someone or more than one person with a disability on the catwalk unless it's, you know, a full show where everyone has a disability and it's, you know, an adaptive fashion label. Um, and I think that when you have one person from a diverse background, whether they have a disability or, you know, they're from a different ethnic background, it's it's tokenism because what a lot of the labels expect is they expect them to not be there as just the model, but they expect them to be there as this, you know, diversity icon. And what comes with that is a huge amount of advocacy. You know, you'll see like a fashion piece being like, oh, this label had, you know, someone in a wheelchair, like in their fashion show. And then you'll probably see a quote from them saying like, I'm so grateful that they finally had me in their show or whatever else. They're not paid there. Like they're not there to be paid as an advocate. They're there paid the same amount if they're lucky as everyone else to be a model. But they have this whole weight of being an advocate at the exact same time. And it's it's not fair I think if they're going to be so tokenistic that they're going to have one person that's diverse in their runway, they should be paying them to be the advocate for that at the same time. Um, Because otherwise I think it's just completely unfair. And do you get hired more as a disabled model now? Um, I have stepped back more than what I was doing. And a lot of the work that I did do as a model was actually not as a disabled model no one knew that I had a disability because I was so determined to not be that token. I didn't want people to hire me because they felt sorry for me or because they wanted to use me to leverage their platform. I wanted to use that experience to leverage my story when I was going to be able to come back and tell my story to my communities. Um, And so now I guess being a disability advocate, like there are opportunities where I'm able to be hired um but yeah it's I think it's it's different because when they're looking for a disabled model they usually hire someone that they that's you can see that at first sight and you still can't and how do you go like what are the challenges you face with modeling with a disability walking a runway doing a photo shoot what are like the limitations or challenges that your disability causes you I think the biggest challenge is that the modeling environment still isn't really accessible, to be very honest. Um, And a lot of, you know, the runway shows, you'll have like a full day of fittings where you're expected to be on your feet almost the entire day. You'll be there the entire day. It's probably going to be hot. You're going to be surrounded by other people. You're going to be in ridiculously high heels. Um, And like, like I said, I faint, I get exhausted. I'm in pain a lot of the time. And my body just can't really handle it anymore. Um, And same with, you know, runway call times. A lot of the time you're not given much food. You're not given much water. Like, yes, you can bring your own, but there aren't that many environments to consume it really. 
Um, sometimes there aren't chairs. You have to sit on the floor places and it's not, you know, professional to sit on the floor, but you kind of do it anyway. Um, photo shoots, you're behind big bright lights that are hot. Um, there have been countless times that I've just dropped to the ground. And there was one that was so memorable when I was overseas that I was just, I don't even really know what happened, but I just dropped to the ground. Like I just couldn't stand up anymore because I was having to stand still in one place for a while. Um, and the casting directors just came, they got me up off the floor and they gave me a sugar pill because they were so used to the girls there starving themselves that they thought, you know, she must just be starving herself and gave me some sugar and hope that I'd be okay. And I just dropped to the floor again. So yeah, it was difficult. I, I, they, didn't want to sacrifice my body for it anymore. Yeah. So it sounds like there's not really much thought for people in general, but especially disabled people and that there's virtually like no accessibility. Yeah, I I think so. And I think in some ways it gets better for, for some people. Like I've been at runways where there has been, you know, a model that has a disability and they would be given, you know, a private change room and their own dresser and their own X, Y, Z, whatever they wanted. But because I was there as someone that, you know, didn't have a disability or didn't disclose my disability, I wasn't given any accommodation. So I think it is also about what you ask for. Um, but I think in general, you know, every model should be given what they need to be in a safe working environment. And that's not usually the case. Yeah, I think, I mean, everyone should be offered the chance for accessibility without having to disclose that they need that accessibility. Like I don't think you should have to give people your entire medical history just to get something very basic. And that's probably considered more of like a human right than anything. And I think that the modeling industry is so competitive because there are millions of gorgeous girls out there and there are millions of people who will do a job for free. Um, and so you don't want to ask for things to make you seem like you're difficult or like they have to go out of their way for you. So you don't usually ask for what you need. You're not going to ask for a chair. You're not going to ask for water. You're not going to ask for a support person. Um, and there were so many times that I didn't ask for what I needed because I didn't want to seem like I was difficult or I didn't want to lose the job over someone that didn't need what I needed. Um, and I suffered as a result. And if I went back and did it now, it would probably be different. But I think the difference would be that I wouldn't have got the jobs. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like as someone, I mean, now that I'm older, I do tend to say what I need and I don't really care what other people think. And yeah, it doesn't go well most of the time. And I'm fine. I can part ways with that. That's fine. Um, but a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Like if that's what you're really trying to do, if you need that money, if that's your dream job, you can't just be asking for what you need and then getting fired or let go and having someone else like chosen over you yeah and I think that like even though now I feel like I'm you know older and I'm a stronger advocate and all of that and I'm getting better at asking for what I need I still have so many moments where I don't advocate for myself like I will advocate for anyone else all the time but even recently I traveled interstate um, for a speaking engagement and I had a support worker with me for the first time finally because I needed I needed them and I actually had the balls to ask for them to travel with me which was great but on the flights even though our flights were booked together 
we weren't sitting next to each other on the flight. They were right down the front. I was right down the back. And I didn't just ask the airline to put us together. Um, and then, you know, when we were booked into the hotel, we were put on completely different levels. And I didn't just ask the hotel to put us on the same level because ultimately if anything happened, there was no way that I could access them. There was no way that they could access me. And when I was thinking about it, I thought like, it's actually my fault because I didn't ask. Um, and like, I can't really blame them that they just didn't do it automatically because I should have just asked. So you wouldn't say that like modeling is necessarily like helping you with your disability then? Maybe it's kind of doing the opposite. No, I think, you know, modeling serves a lot of great purposes, but what I realized through my career progression, because I really started off my own personal advocacy journey in modeling um, in a really unique way in that I wanted my community to be represented. I wanted parents of babies like me to know that there was someone that I guess could bring them hope that it could be okay because I'd always grown up with my parents saying to me you know if I'd just seen you at five years old I would have relaxed more because we thought you were gonna die we thought your life was over you know and then if we had just seen you at 10 if we'd seen you at 15 um so I wanted to be that person that people could look to and um, so that was my own individual way of advocacy but what I got really tired of was just being seen and never being heard um, and constantly being criticized for how I look and people never really recognizing or acknowledging the story behind or what I'd been through or what I'd gone through to get there and there were so many times that you know I'd gone through absolute hell and back the same day of a shoot or the same day of a runway um, that had almost gone to the ED before being <laughs> dropped off at a shoot or that I'd gone to the ED straight from a shoot. Um, and no one ever knew, no one ever understood. And I just became an expert at, you know, putting up the facade and looking like everything was perfectly fine. Um, and it wasn't. And I actually started to want to be heard. Um, that representation wasn't enough. Like I wanted a seat at the tables um, and I wanted a voice. I love that. You are really such a strong voice. Honestly, you are. <laughs> What advice would you give to someone who did want to get into modeling? I think for people wanting to get into modeling, I think you really need to ask yourself why. Um, and that's probably not the advice that people want to hear. They, they probably just want to hear, you know, go for it. You're gorgeous. Like, just do it. And that is part of my advice because everyone's gorgeous. Like, everyone should be represented. Um, and modeling, honestly, has nothing to do with what you look like at all, ever seriously um but I think you really need to ask yourself why you want to do it and if the goals that you want to achieve are achievable through modeling um and if it's you know genuine and if it's the environment that you want to be in and if it's you know healthy for you really um because there were a lot of things that modeling taught me and I'm incredibly grateful for it and I hope to continue doing it um, but there are a lot of other ways that I could have learned the lessons, I think, in a less painful way. How would you recommend that they advocate for themselves so maybe they don't end up in the same position that you did? I think it's really important to know who you are and what you need um, and ask for what you need because you know yourself better than anyone else um, and you need to have like a, a safe working environment just like anyone else. 
Um, so if you're going to a shoot or going to a runway, how can you make sure that it's a safe environment for you? Do you need a support person? Do you need three litres of water with you? Do you need food? Do you need to have breaks? Ask for it because if they want to have diverse talent or if they want to have anyone, whether you have a disability or not, um, they need to make accommodations to have you there. If they value you, they'll have you there and they'll make those accommodations. And if they don't, they don't value you enough. So you shouldn't waste your time. Um, it's just not worth it otherwise. And it's not worth sacrificing your body or your health for. I really love that. I kind of, I know it's not like maybe necessarily the term we took, thought the conversation would go, but I love the honesty. And I think it's important, especially if you do want to get in, into modeling, you do need to know the truth. I think so. And I think there are there's so many things that are beautiful about modeling. Like I've had incredible experiences and I've met the most amazing people because the people that you meet in the modeling industry a lot of the time are the people that have been told no over and over and over again. You know, the people who said, you're never going to make it as a model or you're never going to make it as a makeup artist or ha ha ha, photography, like, are you serious? You're not going to make it as a photographer. But these are the people that have kept pushing through and have kept going. And they're incredible, talented, beautiful people. Um, and it, it is a wonderful industry in many ways, but in other ways it, it can't, it isn't at times. Um, so you just need to choose the right jobs, the right people, um, and you can have an incredible experience. Thank you so much, Anya. This has honestly been so interesting and so great. What's um your next big thing that you're working on or that you want to do? I think my next big thing um, is next year and actually going to move Champion Health Agency into a not-for-profit. Um, yeah, wow. So, yeah, so you're hearing it first here. I'm incredibly <laughs> excited because I have all of these really big dreams for things that I want to do. Um, and in the social enterprise structure as a company, it's just not possible. And I just have this grand dream of being able to partner with a range of sponsors and have like a champion holiday where people I represent and whoever else wants to come along, we can go to some exotic location or a cruise ship or something. Um, I mean, just have a good time, but also look at the accessibility of it um, and, you know, maybe have some speakers speak on the cruise ship or whatever else. That's my absolute dream because I need a holiday and I cannot imagine a better group of people to holiday with than my champions. So you better be. Yeah, happy. I mean, I'm up for coming on a cruise. <laughs> good. I've never been on one before. So if it's terrible. <laughs> um, so where can we find you? Instagram, um, at Anya Christopherson and LinkedIn. It's my new favorite form of social media, which is, <laughs> yeah, kind of embarrassing, but yeah, just Anya Christopherson on LinkedIn if you want to venture into that domain. And if someone was interested in Champion Health Agency, what should they do? Check out our website, which is www.championhealthagency.com um, or Check us out on Instagram, which is at Champion Health Agency. Um, and if you want to come on the cruise or know someone that wants to sponsor a cruise, <laughs> send me an email <laughs> or an Instagram DM is better. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for being the first guest. Honestly, couldn't have been anyone better. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry, I went a bit of a different direction, but it's been awesome. No, no, that's good though. That's good because I didn't really know anything about the topic. Um. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people who don't know a ton about the topic. 
So that's why I chose it. Something a little bit different. I think it's been a good discussion. Yeah, I think so. I think modeling can be so glorified, um, but it's important to know that there are many sides to every story. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. Don't forget to subscribe to continue getting our episodes and you can find us on Facebook at Sick of It Podcast and Instagram at Sick of It underscore podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you again next week. Thank you.